perfect offering There is a crack, a crack in everything That's how the light gets in Welcome back to the Thinking God Podcast where we talk to great writers, artists, entertainers, and other folks who believe that there is still a reason to maintain some sort of faith and hope in the world. Today I am talking to Eric Guzman. I met Eric a long time ago. I, I was trying to figure out how long ago that was uh, through the Steve Brown Ministry at Key Life Network. But Eric is the Vice President in Charge of Communications and Executive Producer at Key Life Network where he is also the co-host of the nationally syndicated talk show, Steve Brown, etc. And he is the legendary Mary Monk of Love, if you want to check that uh, um, that um, blog he, he once did out. Eric is also the author of the newest book, The Seed, A True Myth, and also the author of The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain. He has a BA in Mass Communications and an MBA, well-educated man. Eric is perpetually working on his master's theological uh, degree, which he admits openly, and he is also a drummer, a fifth-degree black belt in Aikido, and admittedly a self-obsessed overachiever. And what I like most of all, Eric is one of those rare individuals who offer honest answers to questions and is not afraid to reveal where he is in his life. I really enjoyed the time I spent with Eric on this week's podcast. All right, which of those is your favorite title, Eric? Let's just start with that. Well, I think all of it represents uh, the first half of my life, as Richard Rohr would put it, and uh, basically the credentials of the the false self, and it all deserves to die. So, <laughs> oh, wow. So you know, how's that? Way. How's that for a start? So you you don't have a favorite, is what you're telling me? Oh, I don't know. If you could up only until, do up, one of those things, which would you do? Up until recently, um, I would say that uh, author of the Seed of True Myth was my favorite. Right. Um, but you know, the reception of that book has so disappointed me and thrown me into a midlife crisis that I, I can't claim it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> We've got good reviews on Amazon. I want to get back to the book in a minute. All right. But no, I love, I love, I love working with Steve Brown. I love working at Key Life. I love, uh, Aikido. Um, you know, that's, that's a good snapshot of, of things that I've, I've really poured my life into and loved over the years. So, well, in um, your in your role at Key Life, you've interacted with a really wide range of people connected to religion and or spirituality. Has that had a role in shaping who you are today? I think so. All the people that we've interviewed on our talk show, Steve Brown, etc., have given me perspective on all the different facets of Christianity today and beyond. We interview people who aren't part of the Christian faith. And so uh, talking about things that matter in a context of grace and unconditional love has really been formative for sure. Has there ever been anyone that you've had on the show that, uh, or any of the shows that you wished you could smack in the head with a large sock full of horse manure? <laughs> I, not me, but I think Steve Brown probably has a list. <laughs> <laughs> So nobody's ever really gotten under your skin that he's been talking to? Oh, I don't know. You know, Tim Keller was dismissive of me once, and that annoyed me. Um, I love Tony Campolo, but one time he said, who is this guy and why is he here? Uh, In a a reference to some comment I made, I thought that was offensive. I mean, come on. Who am I? Don't you know? Go look at the list that Greg read. That's a Yeah, really? Come on, man. And Tony accepts everybody. You can't be dismissed by Tony Campolo. Yeah, you know, if you piss off Tony Campolo, man, jeez. What does that say about you? (laughs) Other other than those folks, though, and maybe even including some of those folks, who have been some of your greatest influences over the last few years, Eric? Are you talking about from the talk show or from... No, just in life. I mean, reading or whatever. Who's had the most influence on you in in your journey recently? Uh, Well... I could go through a short list, you know, Steve Brown coming and hijacking my life, you know, as a gift. Well, let's talk a little bit about Steve Brown since we're, since you brought him up and he has been your boss for what, almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how, how did that, how did you end up in, in that position? Did you have any idea you'd be there 20 years later? No, no. I think of it as a trick. It's God's trick <laughs> to get me into ministry and get me listening to the message of grace for all that time because that's how bad I need it. Um, I was working at a local radio station and 
I had actually just um, quit one of my jobs <laughs> that morning. I uh, was still working at the station one day a week. And Steve had lunch with the general manager who's looking for a guy to run his talk show to the production. And the general manager said, well, I know this guy. And they came in and uh, Steve wanted me to you know, pick that up for him. And I turned him down and uh, I just thought he was sent from the devil. It was really uptight and religious. He smelled like smoke, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to work for this guy. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just quit my job so I could go get an MBA. And you know, this guy's here sent from the devil to sidetrack me. And he just stayed after me and stayed after me. And, uh, you know, finally I gave in and I thought it was a compromise. I've, I've looked, looking back over my life, I've, I see a lot of these places where what seems like compromise at the time, like compromise of my convictions and ideals and my own plans, like actually is the gift of God to put me where I need to be. But I, I thought of it as a failure. And when I said yes to him, like, okay, I just want this cush job and the money that he's offering. Um, I'll give up on these other ideals, but well, where were you now at? Here I am. Where were you at in your spiritual journey at that point in your life? Well, I had gone through the initial conversion, a year of deciding that I was going to be the perfect straight A Christian, and after that year, while I could get a lot of external stuff, you know, under control, you know, the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. Uh, I had just this anger and, um, you know, I guess that's really the main thing. It's just this, this incredible uh, rage inside of me. And, and so I, I just knew that I couldn't be a Christian. And so I gave up and went back to you know, all my comforting ways and then had started a journey of back into faith and, um, it was at that point that uh, Steve came along. Uh, I, was, I was, again, starting to try really hard. I was working for uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. I was working on World Changers Radio with Dr. Bill Bright. That was actually the, the job that I quit that morning. And I was working at a local Christian radio station. I was just getting out of college and trying to get my life together. And that's when he came along. Well, okay. Well, and Steve, we're not going to spend the time, a lot of time talking about Steve Brown, but if people are, are familiar with him, they realize he has been sort of quietly a pretty profound influence, I think, on the whole message of grace and everything over the last few decades. So, uh, who are who are some of your other great influences over the last uh, several years? I think uh, Brennan Manning, um, Paul Young, to some degree. Talking to him on the talk show, you know, sent me off on a on a journey that really resulted in that book, The Sea, The True Myth. Um, and of course, you're talking about the author of The Shack, in case people not yeah familiar yeah him. author of The Shack. And well, you know, I've gone to seminary and read guys like Bavink and. I actually enjoyed that stuff. <laughs> I guess that makes me kind of weird. Um, you know, Thomas Merton and um, Richard Rohr and recently been diving into Father Thomas Keating. Um, so you read a lot? Are you still reading a lot? Or? I, I It goes in spurts, fits and spurts. Sometimes I just, I'm all, I have a couple books in my bag that I'm reading simultaneously and sometimes I can't be bothered with it because I'm, you know, too busy trying to be significant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Is there anybody that, that if you know they're speaking, you want to make sure that you hear what they've got to say? I mean, is there anybody currently that has that kind of impact on you? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm really enamored with Richard Rohr right now. So if I see his stuff online, I'll stop and read it. Right. Yeah, his his uh, influence has has, um, has really gotten him into a very busy schedule. He's been I think he's he's booked forever. I'm on his long, long, long way away list. I think to get him on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, one of the things I, that I wanted to talk to you about, since you've been around this for a long time, and particularly since you've been with a national ministry for nearly 20 years, it's been kind of unusual for a person in your job and. 
people who have not been around radio or don't understand it, uh, the producer's job is a very difficult job. And I know, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I uh, haven't been in radio. Um, but yours has been, Steve's made you more a part of a program than some producers. I mean, some some radio personalities, the producer's completely in the background. Some, they, if things get really slow and nobody calls, they let them talk. But, <laughs> but you've been sort of an integral part of this. And as part of that, you've been very transparent about your own struggles. And I, I don't mean in a testimony kind of way, but in the, I'm not sure I can do this kind of way. Was this a conscious decision or... What, for Steve to include me in the program? No, but for you to be this this transparent about your own struggles, because you have talked a lot more than you would normally hear on a quote-unquote Christian show about your own struggles. and Yeah. Well, you know, I um, outside of spiritual influences, which I gathered is what you're asking no, about. Any, any influence is fine. But other influences, you know, like uh, Howard Stern, um, you know, I, I just loved listening to him, you know, being a radio guy. I, I got into radio when I was a junior in high school, uh, I mean, I had my own top forty show, six to midnight on a hundred thousand watt station. By the time I was nineteen, and I mean, that's my first love. And so Howard Stern is just a hero, and he was very and is very transparent. I mean, all the stuff uh, that went on in his life was open <laughs> for yeah, us to true. be involved in here, you know. And so when Steve hired me to do the talk show. Uh, you know, that's all I knew of. I, I just uh, like, okay, I get to be myself. And Steve gave me that freedom in the context of, you know, his message of grace and unconditional love. And so um, it's less of a burden when you have to do a live radio program. Uh, you know, when we first started, it was uh, six in the morning till nine uh, weekdays. And then after that, the year after that, it was an afternoon drive five days a week for two hours. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking that much, um, if, if you're fronting, that's exhausting, right. <laughs> you know, right. but if, but if you're talking about what's really going on and you're being open and transparent and you've got a guy like Steve Brown, who's giving you that freedom and then also, uh, speaking into it, you know, words of love and compassion. And I mean, it's, it, that's something that not only, you know, frees you to, to say what's really going on, but it's the content of what we do at key life it's you know the message for sinners and sufferers that you know god loves us and so um it became <laughs> fodder for the show but uh really the ministry itself of just being transparent and 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 then having that message delivered and just being a part of it it's not all about me but but that was my that has been my role i think and because i can't do anything else because everything else is exhausting well, that kind of honesty, though, is is unusual in, in a small church situation, much less when you're, you know, talking about uh, struggles. I mean, you've mentioned alcohol and other things many times uh, in front of, you know, pretty pretty broad audiences. I've been following the show since you guys started in the, the various incarnations, and you're right. I did a, a morning show. You know, you, people don't realize working. We did six to ten five days a week. That's it is exhausting, and to be able to be as particularly with your audience, and I do know. Uh, you, you, you've played clips of it before. Some people don't appreciate the uh, complete transparency that you. Yeah, see. no, not at all. And um, um, you, you seem to be uh, they're telling your story as a key element. Uh, is that a fair assessment? And what, what role do you see as story in, in spirituality? I think it's huge. I'm, I mean, and I think me telling my story is just the life of a narcissist, you know, <laughs> it's like, I can't do anything else. This is the lens through which I see everything. And so, uh, I mean, I apologize, but that's, that's it. I mean, I see it all in, in terms of this story that's being lived out and it's, you know, I see it from my perspective. And so I'm open to hearing other people's stories so that I can gain perspective and, you know, not be so isolated and broken and, you know, um, uh, dysfunctional, you know, so it's not just all about me, but, um, but yeah, I think us telling our stories, you know, that's, uh, it goes beyond information, you know, teaching concepts stays in our heads, but when you are reading a story or you're listening to somebody's story, what happens is you put yourself into the story and you you start to see the world from their perspective, and you um, 
it affects your heart and your intellect. You know, there, there's emotion involved and there's, um, you know, a storyline that's going somewhere. It's not just raw facts. And so I think, um, you know, engaging with each other around the idea of uh, storytelling and living out stories that uh, speaks to the whole person rather than just part of us when, you know, all the teaching that's out there is, only goes so far. Well, and, and I think the other element of that is there are people who tell um, very carefully vetted parts of their story. Um, right. You were a featured speaker at the Wild Goose Festival this year, and you even recorded the Steve Brown, et cetera, uh, show about that event. Uh, and you dealt with a lot of issues there. Tell me a little bit more, a little bit more about that experience and about the Wild Goose and how that's in, in impacted your life. Well, the first time I went to the Wild Goose Festival, I went out there. It was new. Wanted to see what was going on. Steve just had a book out, Three Free Sins. And um, I thought, well, if I can get up there and just hand out free copies, ask people if they wanted free sins and hand them the book. I thought that'd be fun and um, you know, see what's going on at the same time. And so I was really, really blown away that first time that I went. And I didn't realize – um, just how dead I had gotten spiritually and how hopeless, you know, it was like, meh, it was kind of this, um, I don't know. Let's talk about that for a minute though. Cause I well, think that is a place where a lot of people who have, uh, been on some sort of spiritual journey or quasi journey, they hit these places of hopelessness and it seems to be, uh, sort of endemic now to a lot of people that just sort of, what's the point? Right. Yeah, well, I keep getting there. I mean, I'm I'm in. I, I should say I'm, I'm kind of riding a wave of that right now, um, and coming off of that second uh, experience at the Wild Goose Festival, which you referenced and just happened. But um, yeah, so I think it comes at uh, in these these uh, different crucial periods of our life where you know we we really um, need to experience uh, death and resurrection, and so. Uh, at this first wild goose, I just realized that, you know, I had lost a lot of hope for um, the church and for, you know, any kind of real impact that I could have uh, in the world. And I was just surrounded at the at the goose, you know, by all these people like that were talking about the future and really talking about faith in new ways. And, um, you know, Phyllis Tickle was a big part of that. Um you know, I could mention others, but uh, so I, and, and then just seeing the the musicians, the the bands, just that uh, exuberance and uh, youth, <laughs> youthful maybe youthful optimism. Um, you know, my darkness just stood in stark contrast to all the light that I was seeing there, and and it really shook me. And um, you know, I left there knowing that I kind of needed to be born again, again, <laughs> and. Um, and then again, this this uh, most recent time, uh, you know, I feel like I, I'm going through a midlife crisis, um, uh, and that on top of struggling with uh, the um, you know, bipolar, manic depressive stuff, and you know, not not being on medication right now, which is a, probably a bad choice, and um, so. Well, let's stop. Let's let's let's. You know, I if, mean, if you if you want to talk about that a minute, I, I think it's important that there are there's a growing understanding that people who have legitimate uh, physical struggles with these sort of things with uh, uh, you know clinical depression and bipolar disorders and stuff, and the, the the church and I'm using that as the church universal even as a body doesn't seem to know how to respond or what to do with that. Um, you leave people who particularly bipolar, uh, who will have a great spiritual experience. And then, then, you know, the next time it's the, the worst possible experience in life, like there is no hope and there's nothing left. Have you experienced anybody who's been able to, you know, offer you any sort of comfort in all that? Yeah. I mean, Steve's been very helpful. I had a, a priest who was, who was saying, Hey, you know, if you need glasses to see, why do you keep taking your glasses off? Just because do you feel like you're weak because you wear glasses, <laughs> you know, why do you do this? And so I've, and, you know, counselors, um, you know, people that have been very supportive friends, um, who understand that, you know, there, there really is 
uh, a deficiency in neurotransmitters that people have that you know, causes all kinds of problems. And so I've, I've felt support there. I think most of the kicking against it all has come from myself. Right. Um, and and I think it's uh, kicking against that. You know, how deep does the weakness go? How broken am I? You know, um, am I nuts? <laughs> and uh, now, you know, I recently heard a talk from Father Keating, who said, uh, "This is kind of the other side of this." Uh, who said, "You know, now there are times where there's a depression in life, and rightly so." And I'm thinking of this midlife crisis thing, where you are mourning the death of the false self, uh, the end of that first half of life that Richard Rohr talks about, um, where you're seeing all these hopes and dreams and all your effort and you know and what it all has come to, and you're realizing it didn't pay off, and you worked really really hard, and and then you start you're feeling the sadness of what does this mean if if these things need to pass away, um, who am I when I'm not trying to control the world, <laughs> you know, right. and um, and so that can be a depression that you have to go through. That's actually a gift of God to give you an identity that's um, you know rooted in in um, Himself, in love, in union with Him, and these false selves need to die. So that could be a real gift. Um, but then He does mention now there are people who need the help of medication, and He's like, I'm not talking about that. So. Um, you know those people need to get help, and um, so that's that's great to have that uh, affirmation. But um, well, but what I think is going on with me is I'm going I'm going through both of them. Yeah, that's I was going to say, you, you, and also it's hard to, to distinguish between the two. And the other thing is uh, the meds have so many weird side effects, and even when you get the perfect cocktail, it doesn't work for very long. And that's there's such a misunderstanding about that struggle. And I just I wish more people of faith were more. Uh, you know, upfront about it, and, and can talk about there is hope on the other side, or at least hope during it. There's not like an other side of it. It's not like you get over it. That's what everybody's kind of wanting everybody to do. Yeah, and there's that kind of like being in love with your sadness thing that's really hard, right. um, because like you said, you can get really high on the on the upswings of right. a, of being bipolar, and you can get really really low. But both of that, both of those are intense emotions and I, I feel like in some ways I've become an emotion junkie and feeling like this is my spirituality. Like I am interacting with God in both of these places. And so, and that might just be crazy thinking, but there is that attraction to it and the thinking, oh, well, if I get on meds and it's going to be all evened out and I'll be like, you know, a normal human being, just mortal, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> but um, but I'll tell you, I did I did go back to um, my shrink after two years of not being on meds, and I've been going through some difficult stuff, you know, in circumstances in life. And I'm like, I just can't handle it anymore. And she actually wouldn't put me back on them. Hmm. And she's the one that diagnosed me as bipolar, which I, this is just confounding to me. Um, so. Anyway, that's where I'm at right now. Well, does that does that play into any of the deconstruction of faith sort of stuff? Trying to trying to integrate how that's supposed to work out. Yeah, I think I think so, because you know religion and faith is all part of that um, that early part of life construction. You've been constructing an identity, and religion, faith has been a big part of that. Especially for people who've been working in ministry or they're authors, talking about writing about faith. Um, yeah, you know, it's just like part of who you are, and and so you build a platform. <laughs> you, um, like like anything else in life, you know, kind of build a monument to your own competence, or do that, and then say, "Well, look what God has done." You know, when you know you worked really hard for that, <laughs> and um, but over time, you can find yourself inside of that labyrinth you created, that tower to your own competence and you can find yourself trapped and isolated and lonely and, and knowing that none of the success speaks to the emptiness that you feel. And, and along the whole way, then along with the, the 
you know, being a, a religious professional, you're sitting there offering hope and consolation to people when you have no hope and you are not consoled. Well, and I think we're, we're seeing that played out across the country. I mean, just in the last few weeks, several, you know, I mean, I don't like the word particularly, but megachurch pastors have stepped down from burnout and other things that, you know, you're trying to maintain something, but you can't maintain it yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really a good thing. I mean, that's, I think, so, so yeah, you have to then go through the deconstruction. Like in my book, the seed, a true myth. These people build this labyrinth in this wall, and there are these vines that are planted in it. And so, as they're building it, these vines are destroying it. You know, and and it's uh, really frustrating. But I think if you look at what's happening to um, you know churches, denominations, faith in this country, what's happening in our personal lives is those vines are a gift to bring down the walls. Those vines are de- are doing the deconstruction for us. So like, who in their right mind would choose deconstruction? I think this is God's gift to us. He's deconstructing us. He's making us go through this because he loves us, because he's trying to give us something that doesn't depend on our efforts and our, and our own competence and, and construction. Because those things that we, we build to protect ourselves are actually our own prison, and he's trying to set us free. So I think it's all – it's, it's, um, it's communal and it's personal – and I think it's the theme of what's happening right now is the deconstruction. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the book. There seems to be a, a thread, too, of uh, we're all infected with something, you know, something that's not, you know, that we may think is good for us or gives us what we think we want, but it doesn't necessarily, in the end, play out that way. Uh. Yeah. I mean, in the book, the characters are all running from a shadow right. that in one way or another – took their home and so they have to come up with a way to deal with the shadow either they're gonna hunt it to destroy it or trap it or they're going to run and run and run and run but both are exhausting and yeah there is this infection that um you see in the book and it's i I told you earlier about the rage the anger that i encountered after you know, about a year of getting, you know, of letting go of all the different uh, ways that I was able to avoid the anger, you know, the substance abuse and different things like that. And then you're just left with this rage. And, and I see what you're talking about in the book, which is the, the blood worms right. that uh, infest uh, the hunter you see uh, early on in the book. That rage um, gives a certain strength. Uh, actually, it gives the illusion of strength, right. and uh, where we feel powerless uh, and and very fearful, often that rage is a way to um, give us a false sense of power, and um, and so what I've had to encounter in my life is that what's behind all that anger um, is a fear and a weakness that. Uh, really is uh, deep and strong to the degree that you see it in the rage. So like the bigger the rage, the bigger the weakness, the bigger the deficiency the, you know, the, and the fear. And so, um, yeah, so it's too often I think we rely on power and anger. Well, and in the book too, even when they trap it, they don't know what to do with it. Even when they have a pretty good idea what to do, they still don't do it. They still have it trapped yeah. and – Right. Well, the, we, we the, still go in and we still go in and, and poke the monster. I mean, we don't we don't really want. I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's really hard to um, shake the shadow, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, but the twist in the book is that um, you know, well, I don't. I can yeah. just give it away. Nobody's going to read it. But <laughs> no, you're getting good, you're getting good reviews on Amazon, and I yeah, I, 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 think I am. It, I, yeah. Um. Well, the thing is, the the shadow isn't the biggest problem, you know, right. and um, and all of our schemes uh, to get rid of it are just not going to be successful because the shadow is actually there for our good, and it's just the shadow is just uh, seeing things in a, in a way that. Um, well, I'll just put it this way: when you turn away from the light, you're not looking right at the light. 
what you see is the shadow. You see the effects of the light. But, you know, the, the, the source of the shadow is still the light. And that light of love is good and healing. And it's about stopping the chase of the shadow or the running from the shadow and turning toward the light to find healing. That's what I'm getting at. Well, I, 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 was, I mean, unlike a lot of other people who are on this journey that you're, you're, you've been talking about, um, you maintain some sort of connection to church. Uh, how have you maintained that connection and why? Well, Steve uh, has a real love for the church and, um, you know, that's something that as I, as I've struggled, I do respect him and don't want to chuck it all because I think he has some good things to say. <laughs> um, he's had a lot of good things to say in other areas, so I'm willing to trust him on this one. Um, and so I stayed involved. I mean, the churches that I've been involved with have changed over the years. I mean, I'm currently Episcopalian and, and I find that, um, you know, the liturgy and the, that connection to the, that, uh, history and, and larger group to be very comforting and, you know, communion and all of that. So, um, I found a place there that's, that works for me right now. Um, and then I also take my family to, um, to Steve's church where Kevin Labby preaches on a regular basis. Um, and there, I, I like to go there because the message of God's love is just consistently held up without the, you know, therapeutic moralistic deism, you know, the fix yourself kind of stuff. And it's just the proclamation of love over and over again. And I, I need to hear that. And so, um, I could hear that online, I suppose, or in a book, but, um, my family doesn't, listen to those uh, you know, podcasts or <laughs> read those books, and, and it's something I want to share with them, so I take them to church. Well, uh, do you, have you found any connection, though, there? I mean, uh, are you finding connections with other people in church? or? Um, I think with um, Willow Creek, which is the, the church where Steve and um, – where Steve goes and then Kevin Labby's the preacher. I've this known is Willow Creek in Florida, not the big Florida, Willow Creek. Yeah, in, yeah. And I've known those people, a lot of those people there for years. Um, so there is relationship there. I mean, I run into people all the time that we've got a long history. Um, in the Episcopal Church, there are people that I've known for a number of years. Um, there's at the cathedral downtown, which I really like to go to. There's uh, Reggie Kidd, who was one of the professors at RTS, who's now the dean of the cathedral. And, um, you know, I had him for some classes and always loved him. So, um, you know, going and, and being served communion by him and hearing his messages is just wonderful. And so there's a connection there. Um, and then, I, you know, I have some longtime friends that will that go there, too. So and then, of course, um, Justin Holcomb, I work with Justin and he works as um, a canon of vocations there with the um, Central Florida uh, Episcopal Diocese. So, yeah, there are a lot of relationships connected to church that uh, are healthy for me. That's good. The reason I ask that is it seems like every particularly people under 35, the, above anything, the, the, the number one thing they're looking for is community. And at the same time, that group in, in large numbers are growing to express a lack of spiritual interest and because they think it's irrelevant. Um, well, and, and I think they've been, you know, and we we have been hurt badly, and we understand that some of these communities are, you know, really not that interested in us unless we're willing to fold into their plan and what they're doing, and it doesn't feel like uh, an unconditional acceptance. It feels like you know, get with the program, or you really don't have a place here. And then when you put the message on top of that, that keeps loading people with burdens. You know about uh, you know either fix the world or fix yourself rather than look what's been done for you and the love and grace and peace that you can rest in. You know then um, and you know and then just the human condition like we're all jerks to each other at one time or another and um, you know there's just a lot of pain surrounding that and it's 
it's a really hard place when you lay religion on top of it to have community. And I think in some ways it's easier to find community in other places without the burden. Right. And it, uh, the, the idea, it's really interesting how the shift has come from, you know, people who did not have uh, a, a, any sort of warm connection to anything, uh, matters of faith, they consider themselves atheists. Now they don't at all. It's just uh, they don't consider that a relevant uh, description at all. Uh, I think the church has created a lot of atheists. Yeah, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and we have lost a little bit of the um, year, even even in other other generations. My one of my sort of heroes is G.K. Chesterton, and Chesterton was a you know great intellect and a great voice for the faith, but he was also best friends with George Bernard Shaw and uh-huh. you know guys who completely disagreed with him uh, we, we've sort of lost that connection with each other yeah uh, but that's changing i think that's i think that's I changing think it is too. And, I, and i think when you um like going back to the wild goose festival that's something uh that's that's really encouraging um uh, the people that you run into there the people that are speaking the people that are out there camping and attending the stuff i mean they're coming from all these broken places they're you know coming from and then, and then they're also coming from never having any um you know, faith tradition that they grew up within, you know, I mean, it's just, it's such an open and, and, um, inclusive environment that there's just a lot of room for those kind of conversations that you're talking about there. Right. And, um, and it's just a very happy place for me. <laughs> I want to, I just want to go all the time well, <laughs> and, and I want to live there. <laughs> you know? And that message I'm hearing in a lot of places that for the, at least first time, and I've been around this almost six decades, and I grew up in it, and is that God is pulling us into a better future. It's not something I really ever heard. Um, I always liked the Mary Monk of Love stuff you did. Your your Mary Monk of Love mantra was, may God bless the hell out of you. Right. Um, you do, do you believe in hell? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to believe that it lasts forever, you know? Right. <laughs> um. Well, that's a difficult question. I had somebody ask me once that uh, their 14-year-old died in a car accident and had been drinking with friends, and are they going to be tortured forever because they were 14 and made a mistake? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff out there about that. Um, certainly, you could read Rob Bell's book, right. Love Wins, um, that documentary, Hellbound. Right. Um, uh, I think Brian McLaren's got a pretty good book out. Yeah, Brian McLaren's book, uh, uh what is it? Uh, I read it. Um, I, I did too. I'm, I'm going to have to find it. And I'll insert that at some point. But yeah, I can't remember either. Something about um, life after death, and then the life after that, or something like I can't right. remember. Um, but what? yeah, yeah, you know, reading all that stuff, and um, you know, it's when you when you have the Bible filled with you know these um, references. You know, I think Brian McLaren talks about this a lot in that book. Life after death and the life after that. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's on my shelf. I could go look at it. Um, but anyways, the um, you know, there's a lot of references to uh, hell that are you know in our mind and our Western mind. We think, oh, okay, that's that place of torture forever. Um, but there are a lot of them that talk about. Uh, you know, the garbage heap in Gehenna and, you know, where they're talking about an actual place of burning and burning trash and, you know, something's being said about, you know, what happens outside the, the community and the, the burning and all that and um, not necessarily referring to this eternal conscious torment. But then there are scriptures that speak to that. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about it. And so if you're going to take Jesus and the scriptures seriously, then you're going to end up having some difficulty around this, um, especially when you believe that God is love and, um, you know, some people go for, Hey, can you hold on just a second? I'm going to say sure. goodbye to my son. Hold on. Sure. I love you. Have a good day. I'll see you. I'll see you. Thank you. You too. Awesome. You're going to leave it here. Um, I'm not going to leave it here because you might get home before me. Okay. Okay. Love you. Love you. Okay, you too. Uh, the book right, is called the, the Last Word and the Word After That. Ron McLaren's book, The Last yes. Word and the Word After That. So we we're talking about the, but you know, if you you approach the whole idea, and, and, and you know, you've read the books as well, and um, 
I've had these discussions with a number of, of people and people who've written about it. And Brian McLaren, I talked about it the other day, is first the Old Testament has no mention of hell whatsoever. Right. And then and very little idea of an afterlife right. at all. And then the New Testament, unless you you get into Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about those who fed me and clothed me and visited me in prison and took care of me when I was sick. And that's where he speaks of the lake of fire. The rest of it from the mouth of Jesus is very, at best, very nebulous in terms of he didn't use that as a motivator. Why do you think there's such an afterlife fetish among so many um, people in the church? Oh, maybe because their lives suck so much right now. <laughs> that they're, you know, like hoping for. Um, Got to be something better than this. Something better than this, you know, rather than going through the death that happens right now while we're alive to, you know, find the life after that death. Um, which I feel like, you know, is, is, again, back to this midlife crisis thing, pretty, pretty in my face right now. But, um, so yeah, you know, I think, you know, like, I forget who said it, but, um, you know, if you don't at least hope that universalism is true, you haven't understood the heart of God. Right. And, um, now I do get the ideas of free will and, C.S. Lewis saying the doors to hell are locked from the uh, inside, you know, that if there would be, you know, anybody in heaven that didn't want to be there it would be hell, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so, and I've often thought of, you know, God as a refiner's fire and then also a consuming fire. And then whether he's a refining fire or consuming fire is really just about your disposition to him, you know, that. That he, he, his presence can burn like hell if it's like, you know, you, you just this rejection of life. If you're just rejecting life and he is life, then, then life burns like hell. Um, and then if, but if you're like, ah, oh, you know, I know that I want, like you're all of the good stuff, love and goodness. And, and I give myself to you and I see all the stuff that's not love and goodness in me. And then his presence burns that away and is a refining fire. But it's the same fire, you know. And it's back, back to your, you were talking about light earlier. It's the light that reveals what's better for us, not what's wrong with us. I think that's sort of a different way of approaching it. Yeah. Is, yep. um, I, so I then, but then, you know, it, I, I, don't, I don't get to decide whether it exists or not. I can just tell you what I hope. And, you know, my definition of faith is to act on what you hope is true and then evidence follows. So we'll see how it all works out. Right. That's that, my, my, after many years of being very, uh, having proclamations and being very confident of everything, uh, I, I, my, my mantra now, I think, is just above my pay grade. A lot of these things, I just don't get to. Yeah, you don't have to figure it all out. No. You know, and that's, that's where I, you know. I'm really happy about that, but I don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> and I, I kind of chased off on the topic there, but the Mary Monk thing, tell me a little bit about that. Are you still a whiskey mystic? Are you still the Mary Monk? Yep, I am. I am. It's my uh, it's my alter ego, I suppose, um, but very much an expression of myself. It's um, very entertaining. Yeah, I, I've, I've been wanting to get back to that, uh, and, and I just, I'm in this place of life right now where I'm, letting stuff go and um you know like the um lay eucharistic minister thing that you, right. you mentioned at the beginning like i've had to let that go um seminary i'm not enrolled in any classes i, I have to let it go um i've just been so busy building my own labyrinth that i've made myself nuts and um i i, I feel like i'm at this place where yeah, I could get back into blogging and having some fun with that Mary Monk of Love thing. But I think what's needed for me right now is to stop trying to get people's attention, to stop putting myself out there, you know, to, to stop like grasping, you know, for the love of, of an audience, you know, cause it's just sick. Um, and so, the Mary Monk of Love is is part of that, but then also it is, yeah, I'm still, that's me, and I'm still a whiskey mystic, and I still, um, you know, like spiritual experimentation and um, altered states of consciousness, you know, so <laughs> that's, uh, I just haven't been writing much about it or uh, talking much about it, And but if you read the book, um, The Seed, you know, and you're going to read about love in there, and 
that book is an expression of what it means to me to be the merry monk of love. I am here to communicate love. I'm here to be one with love. I'm here, you know, to to invite everybody else to realize this reality. And so, um, but right now, I need a break. Right. <laughs> well, and you seem to to. I mean, at least we're we're having a discussion here, and we stopped because you wanted to talk to your kids for a minute. You seem to at least have gotten that part straight right now. What's important? Yeah. Well, I think I think so, and I think some crisis. You know, it's like this is what God does to us. He gives us these crises, these vines in our wall that are tearing things down, and you get to the point where you realize, hey, the vines aren't the problem, man. The wall's the problem. You know, the vines trying to give you a gift of no wall, and so um, stop constructing that monument to my own competence and just spend some time with your family. You know. Because when things start falling apart and you're not getting the results you wanted, you realize, man, what am I doing here? You you did, though. You you finished the book. You got it out. And I think you you never know with a book that it's there forever and you never know what's going to come from that. Uh, But you did. I mean, that's a pretty major accomplishment. A lot of people claim to be writers and never get anything finished. So. Well, you do, and you put it out there and spend so much time on it, put so much of yourself into it. And um, it's all so very personal. Um, and, and again, it's just part of this uh, false self. Like I have to let it go. Like I was thinking this morning, um, like very literally, the book is called The Seed and the seed has to die. The seed has to bury, be buried in the ground. I have to let it go if it's going to have any chance of growing into anything that bears fruit. And so I just have to stop checking my damn Amazon ranking. You know what I mean? Like I have to stop reading the reviews. I, I, I mean there's just too much heat on this thing. It has to die. Right. And, but there's lots of that in my life right now. Well, and I think we probably share a cynicism that if you'd written a book called The Seed and Donald Trump, you would have, your ranking would be yeah, higher. That's and, right. And it's not like I haven't thought, you know what? I am going to write another book. I'm going to write another book full of sex <laughs> and you know, just uh, you know, vampires. <laughs> you know, whatever, man. As long as you do it within the kind, con- if you want to stay in the 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 Christian ranking thing, do it in terms of prophecy and vampires, and you'll you'll, you'll <laughs> no, move right I, up the. Uh... It's too small an audience. the The black hole in my soul needs more love. I need a secular <laughs> audience. I need the world to love. <laughs> and the world is never enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, are you still playing drums? Are you still a drummer? Oh, let's see. When the, am I still playing drums? I would have to say, when was the last time I played drums to answer right. that question? Right. I took my drum to Wild Goose Festival. Huh. And I don't think I played it. So um, well, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a while. But I have, you know, just hand drums, yes. um, you know, mm-hmm. that, kind of, that kind of thing. But you mentioned music a lot. Uh, how, how oh, wait, wait, wait. You know what? what? I did play my drum at the Wild Goose Festival. I am a drummer. Oh, okay. I is. am. I, I did with Pastor Nars' uh, ceremony. I played drums in that, and that was really fun. So now, there now, you go. Ceremony. We're back to ceremony again. Now, tell me a little bit about that ceremony. I mean, I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, so this happened at the Wild Goose Festival. Um, I, I interviewed Nar at the on the podcast stage there uh, about uh, this festival, and it was the uh, Burning Bowl and White Stone ceremony. And Nar is a Christian shaman, and he's um, is he the only Christian shaman? I was just kidding. I don't know. I, he might be. You know, <laughs> um, it's kind of like the Merry Monk of Love. You know, <laughs> like what does that mean? <laughs> you know. Um, does he look like a shaman? I've not seen this guy. He I mean. does. He does. Ah, okay. uh, <laughs> and uh, so in this ceremony, it's, uh, you know, inviting the presence of God, you know, to identify the things that that don't serve us anymore, which is kind of like a way of seeing the things that you've done with compassion, um, but maybe are, you know, just need to be let go now. And, and so you write them down, you, you know, you're open to hearing what, what are they, you, you write them down, you go burn them in the fire, <clears throat> you go burn them in the fire and then you, uh, go back, drum, listen, and hear that new name, uh, that's talked about in scripture. Jesus will give you a new name, mm-hmm. write it on a stone and, so then NAR provides these white stones that you can write down the, the new name and, and walk out with. So it, it's, a, it's about being at this place of uh, 
of death and resurrection. And, and so I knew going into that, that I needed that right now. And ever since that ceremony, like things have been changing drastically. And I feel like it's all part of this uh, story. It's part of this journey, you know? What is it about ceremony that seems to hold, uh, an attraction. I know a lot of the people, the writers and folks who came out of the Jesus movement ended up in like the Orthodox church, you know, the icons and the ceremony. And they went from complete, almost anarchy to complete ceremonial sort of, you know, liturgical stuff. Right. Well, I think it's connection to that story. You know, the, the ceremony, the liturgy is filled with the symbols, you know, of the reality, um, filled with, with the words from the past um, the images, the smells. And so by going and taking part, you're entering into this kind of timeless thing. And, and so you're in communion with the, the, those from the past and, and those from the future that will engage in this same ceremony that's preserved. So rather than being static and dead, it's, it's actually like a living thing that we, we, encounter and and there's great um comfort in that because you know you're not alone like these saints of the past have struggled with this stuff and and these are the words that they handed to you and it's a it's a communication you know like they're speaking to you and um telling you uh yeah us too and and we got through it and you can get through it and here's you know here's what we learned to help you along the way and um so yeah it's like time travel (laughs) <laughs> well, what is it that, that feeds your soul, Eric? What makes you happy? Well, what makes me happy? Um, that's a hard one. Because, like I said, I get really enamored with my own sadness. Uh, and maybe my sadness makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but sharing that sadness with people who don't uh, write me off, you know, with my friends and my family, um, you know, when, when people say, yep, yeah, there he goes again, but he's ours and, and we're not bailing and uh, we're still in it together. There's a great comfort in that. So um, that gives me life, you know, to spend time with family and friends, you know, having having some whiskey, having some beers, you know, <laughs> good conversation, good laughs. I love laughter. I love comedy. You know, I love reading books about people that are one with the universe and they give me hope that uh, I am too. <laughs> right. Are, are you, are you doing those things now? I mean, are those things that are part of built into your schedule now or? Yeah, I think that, that's all there. I mean, they get different emphasis, uh, um, you know, at different times. Um, you know, I will say this too, uh, you know, I, in going through this difficult time, I've had to go back to some old practices that I've ignored for a while. And I think the, um, Centering prayer, meditation—that um, is—is I think very life-giving, but um, but hard. You know, there's a lot of crap inside of me, and um, to sit there in silence and uh, in the presence of God and not identify myself with you know the inner sewer, but <laughs> to let that all flow out and realize who I really am and just breathe that I'm, you know, in union with God, a child of God, that's really life-giving but hard. And so, you know, going there out of necessity but kind of infrequently. But I feel like I have to at this stage. So those are practice, spiritual practices. Are there other practices that you have? Like, you know, if I do this, I know that it, it centers me or it calms me down or gives me peace. Um. Well, I think I think going to the cathedral, or, you know, going to take communion, that that helps. Um, and then I think this this practice um, of being of just being silent and still and breathing and you know that that's a necessity. What about but, for fun? What do you do for fun? Oh, I, you know. I just drink. <laughs> I drink and smoke. <laughs> Go to the Wild Goose Festival. <laughs> um, now I like I like to hang out with friends. I like to eat. 
and drink and and then smoke. <laughs> um, I like I, from time to time. I like doing the talk show. I like my job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I like to have conversations with my children. Um, I like to play video games with my son. It's really awesome. Um, I don't know. I like to tra- I like to travel. I really like to travel. I like to sail with my dad. But see, I don't get to do all that as much. But you know, because it's a big effort when you got a real busy life and you got you know three kids and trying to coordinate people's schedules. But but I like to work hard to make time for that stuff. You know. Are you making that happen? Is it happening? Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm planning a sailing trip with my dad. Um, you know, we were able to get away for um, to to go up to the Goose with I went with my three kids. Um, How old are your kids? Eric? Sixteen, fourteen, and eleven. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we we got out and did a sailing trip with my dad, where we went from Fort Lauderdale down to the Keys. Um, we piled into an RV and drove out to Sedona and the Grand Canyon and Lake Powell. Um, some of this is starting to get feel like history now, rather than you know recent occurrences. But um, but I do work hard to have those times of getting away, um, so that we can all realize what's really important. That's just being being together and enjoying each other. Well, what what do you have planned for the, the year coming up, or have you looked that far ahead yet? So for 2017, mm, well, the, we got the rest the, of this year first, and then 2017, yeah, from now. Until, so for the rest of this year, yeah. well, um, and then next year, I know you got wild goose again next summer, right? Yeah, I hope, I hope, and then um, you're coming up in. Uh, see, I don't know when this will end up on the podcast, but yeah, October's busy for me. Trip to Canada with Key Life. Talk about books. Um, you know, Chicago for a, a gig with a friend of mine. You know, I've got a trip to Nashville uh, with the, the some folks, and then um, that's kind of a key life thing. And then, and then get into the holidays, which I totally dread. And then um, I I really don't know what the future holds anymore, um, and that's just part of where I'm at. After you know, beyond those things that are on the calendar, right. I just. I'm really hesitant to do anything that doesn't just come to me. Right. So I'm really grateful that you wanted to talk to me. Otherwise, I would never be talking to anybody. <laughs> so uh, with that said, uh, do you still see hope in life? Do you think there's hope? I do. I think the hope, though, is not in um, all the things that that we do, but in who we are. You know, that... Um, I think the hope is in realizing that we're one with God and that we're wrapped up into the life of the Trinity and um, everything good will, will flow from there. And, and then I, I find the hope too in that all the difficult stuff that comes along um, is actually a gift because it's, um, it's an opportunity to let go of the, the false self, the striving you know, those, those ways that we wish things were different if we could just make them different, and that's why we're suffering. And then just to realize, oh, no, just let it go. Let it die. That's a false reality. The only true reality is union with God. And I think that is hopeful. Well, remind people where they can hear you on, on podcast and radio. Keylife.org is the website where all the stuff from Steve and other authors, me included, you do a daily so, key life. We, there's a daily teaching broadcast that Steve does, and that's uh, called Key Life. There's a one-minute feature that we put out, and that's called You Think About That. That's a little one-minute thing with Steve. There's the talk show, Steve Brown, etc., that happens weekly. That's all at keylife.org. And then under authors, you'll see people that are blogging and you know books that we're putting out, um, you know, different people that are – all communicating this message of God's love and, you know, we can rest in it, grace, all that. And your books, The Seed, A True Myth, and it's available everywhere, including on Kindle. 
and so people can yep. pick that up. Eric, I appreciate your time. Enjoyed talking man, I, to you, man. I really appreciate you inviting me, and I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. I hope you will take time to check out some of the stuff Eric has online. Um, you can hear him with uh, Steve Brown on Key Life, etc. That uh, is updated every Friday. They have a lot of guests on there. It's been a great podcast that they have going on there and a great syndicated radio program that they've turned into a podcast as well. Uh, Eric always brings something new to that program, and he always brings something new to an interview. And I appreciate him taking time to talk to us here on the Thinking God podcast because it's exactly what we're looking for, people who are honest and who admit to struggling but also admit that they believe in their heart of hearts there's still hope and that there's a reason for faith. Speaking of that, next week I will talk to Shane Claiborne, who, again, another one of those legendary guys who's been involved in social justice issues and has got a new book on the death penalty. So I hope you'll join me again next week for another conversation on the Thinking Guy podcast. Yeah, the